Most people know that Law Matters was created to open the lines of communication with law enforcement, as well as create educational opportunities so we can be better, more informed citizens. For the last several months, all the news stations have been promoting a negative mindset towards the entire law enforcement community. I agree that some of the recent events are beyond egregious. However, those events do not represent the vast majority of the brave men and women who risk their lives daily to keep the rest of us safe. I'm asking you to please, next time you see a member of law enforcement, show some appreciation and thank them for their service. Now, let's start the show. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. In the studio today, we have Don Spencer, who's retired sergeant with Tucson Police Department. And we're going to talk about his background and his current business. Since he is retired, he decided to get busier. But before we do that, I want to remind everybody that the Front Lines of Sex Trafficking event is next weekend. Your tickets, they're free can be got, uh, gotten on uh, our website, lawmatters1030.org. And it's going to be a good event. Like I say, you don't know what you don't know until you sit there and listen to what we have to say. And there will be a live Q&A afterwards with um, local law enforcement and Pima County Attorney's Office. It's going to be a lot going on, but I think everybody should be there. Don, thank you for coming in bright and early. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Tell us about tell us about you. I I had actually this is odd because I had a listener send me an email and say, "Hey, you need to meet this guy. He needs to be on your show. He is one heck of a guy." And I'm like, "I want to hear about this." So talk to me. <laughs> I appreciate the kind words. Uh yeah, so I served in the military um 4 years in the Marine Corps and my wife was going to the university here and so when I got out of the Marine Corps, we camped out here. And then I decided, you know, hey, this Tucson Police Department looks really awesome. Uh, my neighbor at the time was a, was a TPD officer and said, hey, let's go on a ride-along. This was 99, 98, something like that. Went on a ride-along, loved it. Absolutely loved it. I said, okay, this is the career for me. This is what I want to do. I missed the brotherhood, the camaraderie, the, the uniform, the service, all of that from the Marine Corps. I'd been, yeah. out, I'd been out maybe 18 months, two years at that time. And um, so, yeah, applied. At that time, we um, I was part of the um, Clinton anti-crime grants that were, um, le- you know, from the mid-90s that were still there. They were hiring police officers. So there were a lot of us that got hired at that time, um, quite a few. We had big academy classes uh, compared to now, like not even close to the same numbers. But it was it was an amazing career. We had... Um, a great time. I got to be a cop. I say the the best day to be a police officer, even though it was tragic, was September 12th. Yeah. We were Americans again. We were united. We were together. We were helping each other. People respected the uniform and the service, obviously because of what had happened the day before. Right. And so I've, I've had the benefit of being a cop on what I think is the best day and the worst day, which worst day being 2020 right after um, Minnesota. Um, I think it my right. opinion was probably the worst time to be a police officer. Yeah, it's unfortunate too when you have an incident like that and then they accuse everybody in uniform of the same thing. And it's just so not fair. And yeah, I think it's interesting. I ask people when they get on these rants. folks that are very anti-police and I say, have you ever heard a story of a, a doctor, 
a nurse, a teacher abusing their patients or students. A yeah, priest. Of, of course. <laughs> a priest. I go, we don't put them all in that same class because they have not done their job properly or right. done something criminal. And I think the same applies to law enforcement. But, you know, obviously the political landscape uh, made it necessary for some people to kind of incite that. And it's been a it's been a daunting toll the last few years on law enforcement. Oh, it absolutely has. And I think a lot of the misrepresentation, I, I'll listen to the news and, you know, they'll represent a situation and they'll tell part of the story. They don't tell the whole story to give you the whole picture. And it's it's opinionated. So, you know, here's my opinion. Well, I don't want your opinion. Tell me what happened. I have my own opinion. Right. <laughs> and, you know, they don't give you the tools to, to make those decisions. And I'm not a news journalist. I'm just a regular person. But the reason we started this is to give law enforcement a voice. And I've had so many people on here who've... Well, one of our sheriffs had a story done about him on, I think it was Dateline or 2020, whatever that show was, and they left so much out, they slanted the whole story to misrepresent, and it's infuriating when you hear this, so that's why you're here. We want to hear everything <laughs> that's true, <laughs> so how long were you a police officer? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you enjoyed every minute of it. Not every minute. Um, the last, <laughs> the last few years, I still love the whole concept of service. I, I, oh, absolutely. Um, and I, I come at it from a different view. If you, if you ask a, you know, police officers, you probably get two different whys, why they do this, and mm. or a combination of the two. And one is the service to, you know, to to serve the public, and that is important. Um, my biggest at that time when I got hired on in most of my career was I wanted to lock up people that were preying on other people. Right. Whatever it was, whether it was, you know, violent crime or property crime, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to, you know, be that buffer between that and protect innocent law-abiding citizens so they can go about their day and I'll deal with the stuff underneath the rocks as I lift them up and find, you know, all the little creatures under there. The creatures. That's what I would call them. <laughs> so the service is awesome. Um, and that's, it's a part of it. You got to have that wired into your brain. Um, but you also have to be a hunter. And I think we have totally gotten away from hunting criminals for lots of reasons over the last 24 months. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've seen people say, why, why bother? Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? If you're a law enforcement officer right now and you risk all the stuff that we know you normally risk that you're told at the academy, which is the, could be the loss of your life uh, in this job. But now, you know, even your families are getting targeted um, if something goes wrong. There's splash. That was my breaking point. That was my, all right, I need to retire. My family doesn't deserve this. They already yeah. have to endure enough. Death threats. Yeah. Everything. Just craziness. Yeah. We were getting phone calls at the store um, when we first opened people saying just crazy stuff to me, my wife, my daughter that was working that were maybe not all of it was anti-police, but it was definitely anti-conservative, anti-gun, you know, it was, it was heavy left side. And so we would get these weird calls and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, eh, you know, I'm kind of glad I'm out because it could be a whole lot worse. Um, you could know, be different. Yeah. So yeah. I tip my hat to the men and women still serving, knowing all these factors exist and, um, they still risk it. They risk a lot um, more, a lot more now than they, than that profession has ever had. It's unfortunate, and 
I think part of the situation locally here was for a long time they didn't have a chief that really supported them. They didn't have a mayor that supports them. And, you know, they're they're like, why are we out here? <laughs> why yeah. are we doing this? <laughs> you want us to guard your house, but yet you don't support us. What's wrong with this picture? Right. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just take a look at um, what's a Prop 101. You know, the, the people had to, this, the union for the TPD and, and, and others went out door to door telling the citizens, we don't have the funding to protect you anymore. And the mayor and council and the folks inside the political landscape are not going to get us money. Would you help us? And they but did. they asked for a raise. Right, right. They asked for a raise, <laughs> but yet we had cars that were breaking down on the way to high priority calls. And they didn't a even give you a bus pass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you so get yeah, anywhere. <laughs> support was for a long time, and it's, it just didn't happen in 2020. This was going on, if you go back to 2010, when the furloughs and all these other things yeah. were going on, the economy was bad, but yet their answer was just get rid of cops. That was the first thing, you know, that was at the top of the list for that mayor and, and council. And look at the result. Crime is up. Homicides are up. Yeah. I mean, look at last year, record-breaking year. Yeah. Is this what you want your, you know, society to be? There are certain parts of town I will not go to, period. You don't have to be a status guru to figure out. We stopped policing two years ago, and c crime has skyrocketed all, all across the country. Look at every city that has tied the hands of their police departments. Right. New York City, Seattle, Portland, Chicago. Los Angeles, Chicago. Oh, my God, Chicago's a war zone. I talk to cops from there all the time. I'm from Chicago. With our podcast, and I don't even yeah. know how they do that. Right. I don't know how you hire any cops in Chicago. There's no way. Yeah. With the lack of support that they get. And they're great people. They they're, love their city. And they're know? hard workers. Yeah. It's it's a shame, and it's not the way it was when I left. <laughs> I mean, it's like maybe I should have stayed, <laughs> you know, tried to keep it in focus. Um, it's really... I'm looking at your list of things, topics here. Home invasion murder case. Tell me about that because that has to be. Yeah. So while we're talking about proactively, and this is why I wanted to talk about this case in 2015, I was working um, a street crimes group that we did undercover stuff. And our goal prior to the human trafficking element coming out in 2016, our goal was to go after guns, crime, violent crime, you know, and so forth. And we ended up doing an undercover deal just by happenstance. Um, we were trying to buy guns and drugs and just doing our thing. And the guy kind of gets a little loose lip with the undercover, all, you know, wired up and stuff that uh, he was part of a, a home invasion murder. And he lays out quite a few details. Um, it was an unsolved murder here in Tucson. And we're going to be talking about that the week after next. <laughs> we've got we've got TPD coming on talking about unsolved murders. Yeah, this was an un it, it, now it was only about six or eight weeks old at that time, so it wasn't very old. Um, okay. it wasn't like a two or four or ten right. year old case, but they had at the time very little to go off of the homicide investigators, and so we had this guy rattling off all these things. And this case has been resolved. It's gone through court and stuff. So um, I'm not kind of airing anything that isn't really public record at this point. But these were young kids. And uh, what it amounted to was um, a young a young man was involved in the marijuana trade before it became um, Legal. recreational le legally here. <laughs> and he was robbed and murdered in the doorway, uh, shot dead in the doorway. And his home was robbed for the marijuana and money and, and so forth. Oh, my God. And um, so take a step further, not only do we have a preliminary kind of quasi-confession, um, 
we end up doing more deals. We end up buying the gun from the murderer who actually tells the undercover it's got a body on it, which in that terms means... It was used in a murder. It was used in a murder. It was also used in another uh, aggravated assault, which he was locked up for and then got released, and we end up doing the deal with him after release. A great case. We gave that kid's family and him justice that might not have ever come. I don't know. We have great homicide detectives. I know them all personally very well, and I think they would have done their job and maybe someday, you know, if they got enough information, made an arrest. However, we, we definitely accelerated that because we were out looking for bad people and we found bad people. And right? illegal guns. And illegal guns, guns used in murders and, right. and so forth. And so I think it's so important that we get back to that. There is a difference between harassing a good citizen, which, you know, we as in, in law enforcement, I say we, I'm not in law enforcement anymore, but our law enforcement people need to kind of understand the boundaries of the Constitution. But then there's also going after bad people. We know what it looks like. We've seen it. We're trained. We're experienced. And, then, you know, bad people doesn't have a color, doesn't have a gender. No, it's it just doesn't. bad people. Yeah, and I think we need to get back to that across this country. That's something that really resonated with me when they, you know, oh, Black Lives Matter and all this. Everybody matters. But when I was growing up, you were either a good person or you were a bad person. You didn't have the color of your skin didn't matter. You could be, you know, African-American. You could be Indian. You could be English. It didn't matter. Either you're a good guy or a bad guy. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I, somewhere along the lines in the last, you know, I don't know, a few years, we seem to put a label on everything. But the truth is an idiot is an idiot. Um, an uh, idiot is an uh, idiot. Uh, a criminal right. is a criminal, um, period. And they come in, you know, different. And there's, you know, also people that we encounter in law enforcement that make mistakes. They're everyday people. Let's use, um, you know, DUI or these things that are uh, substance abuse and so forth. We get it. They're probably a great person. They just are struggling in some other areas. That's different from what I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah. about people that have lived their entire lives. Career criminals. Preying on other people. Yeah. Right. That's and, who we need to go after. And that's, you know, and I, I've said it on the show before. Um, I don't understand taking a career criminal who robs people and illegal drugs does the you know a litany of bad things and painting murals on the side of a building honoring that person i don't get it yeah he's a bad person yeah and would you you know i asked this question too if your house was broken into three times in one month and let's say you lived in a neighborhood for some reason uh, either it's a bad neighborhood or there's somebody in that neighborhood that's that's you know lurking on houses would you go get a chihuahua to guard your house or would you get a pit bull? <laughs> you get a pit bull. You get a pit bull every, every, every day of the week and twice on Sunday. And right? a Doberman. <laughs> right. Something, my point being to that is yeah. stop making our police chihuahuas. Exactly. And nothing against them. They're great dogs and they're actually really good alert dogs, but they yeah. don't send that message right, yeah. that the pit bull does. Exactly. And that's and what we want. We need that's to. That's what I want as a taxpayer. And we need to give our, our law enforcement the tools they need to do the job. I mean, if you're driving down the street and your car's broke down and the one they give you to replace it also breaks down. <laughs> you know? Here's what I'm going to counter with. I, I agree with that. We, we, we've gone real heavy in technology and law enforcement. Guess what? Cops have been doing police work for a long time without a radio, without a computer. They know what it looks like. They know what to get after it. Give them some room. Yeah. Give them some room to do their job. 
Exactly. You know? And you, you can't be... The other thing that really bothered me, and this happened when uh, President Obama was there, they wanted to demilitarize the police department. I'm like, why should the bad guys have better equipment than the good guys? Well, let's ask, why did we, when did that happen? And the answer is 1997 with the North Hollywood shootout. That's when U.S. law enforcement started to up armor, get more. Patrol rifles became a thing because they didn't have any rifles. We learned a lesson from that. Yeah. Why are we going backwards? You know, why are we going backwards? It makes no sense. And everybody should be talking to their representatives, telling them we need to fund the police department and equal pay. We need to give them better pay than some of these agencies are getting. I was appalled when I heard how much was going on there. So there's a House bill, uh, 2541. We need to tell everybody Contact your representative and ask them to get that passed. Get it passed. Let's level the playing field. Tell me more about your undercover work. Yeah. Um, I I actually had the opportunity to do plainclothes undercover three different times in my career, um, short stints, twice as um, an auto theft investigator, which had some really cool learning experiences in the automotive when you talk about VIN switching and cloning and and these types of things, making an illegal, um, illegal car look legal uh, for the purposes of financial gain. But also we did, obviously, we did a lot of uh, stuff with the, because it was a state task force, we did a lot of stuff with um, drug interdiction and human smuggling interdiction um, because the those are typically done where they were done with stolen trucks stolen SUVs. And so we got involved in, in that a lot. I really enjoyed that job. It was very challenging. Uh, it was very uh, exciting. Um, and, and I learned a lot with that. And that was my first stint with undercover. And then as a supervisor, I did some work with the, the street crimes unit for about almost two years. And we did everything. Like I said, we started out mainly violent crimes and guns. And that was the traditional mission of that unit and then in 2016 it shifted almost exclusively to uh, human trafficking so uh, it went completely two different directions both were awesome experiences uh, within there and I had a great crew um, until we got a new chief and he dismantled the entire well pretty much every unit and sent him back that's a whole nother <laughs> I could speak about that for two hours but <laughs> we we went off the grid we went from proactively looking for bad people to being reactive um, and not focused on that anymore. I remember a few years back when, you know, people would be on hold with the police department for 10 minutes waiting for somebody to answer the phone and or somebody to respond to a call. And it was all because the chief messed up the police department. We lost, we lost a lot of people. Um, when, when Understandably. Right. We lost a lot of people in 2016 when... when he took over because he wanted to change things and um, people decided I had uh, four people in my 10-man unit leave to other agencies that as soon as that happened they left we lost four and one retired total of five really good officers that would have done the city some really good work uh, and been a good asset to the city as an employee we lost them to other agencies yeah, well, because of that and one unit and that, and you can repeat that at probably all the units across the board. <laughs> our motor units are, you know, just so many of them. Exactly, exactly. Well, we've got a new chief. 
I, I love Chad. I think Chad is is a great dude. Um, I'm really praying for him, and and I'm hoping that um, whatever is left to save of this agency and the good men and women of that agency, Chad's got the ability to do it. Um, and and I he's think, gonna be on in a few weeks. Yeah, and I and I three weeks I think. support him fully, and I think he's you know he's the right person for the job up there, and um, and I'm really kind of crossing my fingers for them. And for all of Tucson, because, you know, what happens on the police department, that affects all our neighborhoods. 100%. That's, that's our safety. That's our security. 100%. And if I can't drive down the street and go to the store after dark, you know, because I'm fearful, that's not cool. Yeah. And you don't see uh, law enforcement p just patrolling. They used to patrol. Oh, yeah. Right. Now they're responding. I mean, there they go, light and siren. There they yeah. go, light and siren. How many people do you see running red lights in this city? Like oh, running even, even everywhere, right? Because yeah. there's no there's no traffic enforcement or very little traffic enforcement as compared to what it was what 15 it was. years ago. Yeah. And I'm not saying everyone should get tickets, but let's let's stop running the red lights. Good lord, you're going to kill someone. You're going to kill someone trying to get a minute off your you know travel time oh. here. I yeah, don't know. It it's just my sense. pet peeve. One of mine too. Yeah. One of mine too. Absolutely. I want to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. I'm Andy Berger, founder of Voices Against Trafficking and also a survivor of child sex trafficking myself. On April 2nd, 8 a.m. Mountain Time, the Frontline of Sex Trafficking Forum will be presented by Law Matters. This is an opportunity for you to learn how to protect children, get ideas, get solutions, and hear from experts in the situation that is happening across the country. Every 40 seconds, a child 18 years and under is abducted, and this is a critical time for all of us to be a bigger voice. The event is free, but you do need to have a ticket, so please visit lawmatters1030.org, lawmatters1030.org. And remember, every child counts, and you have a wonderful opportunity to be part of the solution by being at this event on April 2nd, 8 a.m. Mountain Time. Every Saturday morning at 8, Law Matters Live Show brings you law enforcement. Hi, this is Sherry, inviting you to attend the Frontlines of Sex Trafficking event on April 2nd. Join us and learn how to protect your children from these sexual predators. Your free tickets, agenda, and additional information can be found on lawmatters1030.org. This is important. You need to be there. Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org. To report suspected human trafficking, please call the National Human Trafficking Resource Center at 1-888-373-7888 or text HELP or INFO to 233-733. To learn more about Homeland Security investigations and our efforts to combat human trafficking, please visit our website at www.ice.gov or check out the DHS Blue Campaign at www.dhs.gov slash blue campaign. For more information on the Southern Arizona Anti-Trafficking Unified Response Network, please visit us at www.saturn.org or find us on Facebook. Hi, this is Ronnie Jimbo with Law Matters, inviting you to attend the Front Lines of Trafficking on April 2nd at the Burger Performing Arts Center. Law Matters is hosting this free event because you don't know what you don't know until you attend. It's free, no excuse. Don't be left out of this amazing presentation. 
Get your free tickets at lawmatters1030.org. And as a 501c3, your tax-deductible donation helps continue our mission of education. See you there. Thanks for staying with us. Yeah, on a previous. Thanks for staying with us. Our guest today is Don Spencer, retired sergeant with TPD. And we're talking about his career. He's in the Marine Corps, too, so Semper Fi. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about your SWAT career, because that's that's always fascinated me. I've seen SWAT in action, and that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so I spent 13 years on the team um, as a fairly new officer at the time. I was, I think I had just a few years on, um, got on the team, and spent the next 13 years uh, finishing my career as a team leader. Um, I had the opportunity to be a sniper and, you know, breaching and a lot of different, um, a lot of different jobs and really enjoyed that part of my career. I think that gave me a lot of um, knowledge that I would not have received because we did so much training. Um, the other part about SWAT that is very unique, um, and you'd think this happens more and it, it has gotten better, but they pick everything apart afterwards. The good, the bad, the ugly, no rank. Um, what did know, we learn from this incident? We closed the door. We learned from this incident. And yeah. we, and then what was really cool that I really liked about it, and it's not common in government, is, okay, here's the mistake. Here's how to fix it. It immediately starts tomorrow. Like, we implement this fix right now, tomorrow, that next day, whatever. Instead of, well, you know, we got to kind of sit on this for two years and Let's you know, talk about spend a hundred grand on a research committee <laughs> and all this other stuff, we actually... Made you know, it happen. Made it happen. And so I really enjoyed that part of my career. Saw a lot of tragedy over the years and been involved in a lot of lot of different things that, you know, wish they didn't end that way, but they did. Um, and there was probably nothing we would have been able to do to stop it. Um, you know, you're talking about situations that have grown past what is the capability of a normal patrol division, right? Manpower, ability, equipment, and so forth. And so when SWAT arrives, it's not good. <laughs> there's nothing real good about that situation. Yeah, other this than, is the last. It's, it's bad, right? Yeah. You know, we, the the fine men and women in the blue uniforms uh, couldn't resolve it uh, for whatever reason, and then we have to step in and kind of help that along. And um, so it's not a good situation, and they um, they don't uh, they don't end well. Um, great time, great great experience. I wouldn't trade that for anything. I know you worked with. Um sex trafficking on mm -hmm. that task force tell me about that because i i keep telling people it's happening here you just don't recognize it when you're looking right at it and tell us about your experience with uh this yeah so i came uh i started early on in my career to kind of show you what the landscape of sex trafficking looked like you had miracle mile Let's just use that as an example. That was inundated with street prostitution uh, and obviously street illicit street drugs. And so that was kind of the thing. You could drive down there if you were looking for a date or if you're looking for drugs and you could, you know, buy they what you They really needed. call it a date? Um, yeah, there's lots of code words. That's kind of that's kind of old and outdated. Um, but um, showing your age. Go yeah, ahead. exactly. <laughs> so that was in the early 2000s, and then you you fast forward, and you've got all these apps and social media platforms that exploded um, in the late 2000s, 2010. Um, Backpage took off, and that changed the entire landscape of what prostitution look like and human trafficking look like and what that evolved and that was all new to me i had 
when I jumped in as the supervisor over that unit, it was, I, I was very uncomfortable at first because it's not what I was used to. Yeah. Um, we were also learning that, hey, these women involved in this, they're not criminals necessarily. There are people that have had a very, very bad life and have been um, exploited. Exploited, yeah. Yeah, because a lot of people think, you know, well, just walk away. It's not that easy. It's not. It's not. And they were the most challenging. We called them victims because a lot of them were, and some of them there were there were mostly women, um, but you had all kinds of things going on with gender and and trans and so forth in those things. But mostly women um, that were looking for. Uh, financial gain from men that were looking for sex. That was the most common uh, thing. A lot of the women were victimized and a few were just in it to make money. Yeah. Uh, but that had that, that back page thing really exploded and that was fascinating. We were able to, you know, do these deals either looking, we had two different parts. We either did John stings where we were looking to, um, Target the, and I target's not the best word, but our focus was towards the men yeah. looking to buy women. And then we also were focused on posing as Johns to hopefully locate the lady and her pimp, uh, which that was oftentimes pimp and her support. They're, they would hire bodyguards. They would have people that, you know, pay, paid them in, or worked for them in different ways, drivers, um, lots of different things, uh, knowing what their jobs were and kind of, there was lots of little things that were involved with facilitating that sex, sex trafficking part of it. And that's why on the event we're having next week, Eric Bauer is going to be talking and he was very instrumental in bringing down Backpage. Started out with Craigslist. He's still working on Craigslist. Right. But, you know, making these people who were facilitating hotels, you know, employees from hotels. I mean, pilots, private pilots, making them accountable for what they knew what was going on and did nothing about it. Yeah, one of the things that we did a lot of was education. So we would go around and train hotels, taxi services, air, air um, airport, you know, personnel. Um, we would train them as, you know, here's some things to look for. And if you right. find it, here are some resources for you to call. And we oftentimes got phone calls from a, a lot from hotels. Hey, 14 year old looking girl. She's not really dressed like a 14 year old girl. Yeah. And she's in a room with lots of men coming in and out. And it's just, it's not a good environment here. And they would call us and uh, we would go and do our jobs. And, uh, and many times they were right. Um, they were spot on. And you know what? It, it takes everybody. Yeah. It, you know, the police, even if we had a complete, you know, what, three, four, five hundred police officers, right. they can't be everywhere. Correct. 24-7. So it takes everybody to be aware of your surroundings, be aware of what's going on. And if you see something, say something. Yeah. Now, and I'm not in a special, in a situation like this, you don't want to be calling ADA crime. You want to call 911. Yeah, Correct. And so we, we, we did have a lot of good support here in Tucson. Tucson was real positive for working this problem. And um, I got to, you know, experience to work. Uh, what was very unique was uh, during uh, the Super Bowl season, people don't realize the Super Bowl, no knock on the NFL, but it creates a massive amount of sex trafficking. Any, um, any large any big sporting event. event. Yeah, yeah. Any big event. Even the uh, gem show. Gem show was another one. Um, they would get transported from other cities we called it the track. Um, the girls would run the track and there was certain events across the country um, and they would time all those so they could make a loop 
around the country per se and hit the big events. And, and that's what they did. Um, it's unfortunate, but yeah, that's what they did. Correct. And now people, I don't know if you, you go in hotels now, they'll have a sign on the door saying, you know, if you need help, call this number or, the, you know, text this number or whatever. And I've noticed when uh, I worked the Super Bowl and in the bathrooms, they had those mm -hmm. labels in the ladies' bathroom. I didn't go in the men's room, so I don't know if it was there. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they're they're getting better, but there's so much more that needs to be done. Well, and it's it, I think it's kind of gone quiet on the landscape because there's been so many other things going on in going law on. enforcement. Yeah. Right, you know, with the last couple of years, Minnesota. So my concern is it's probably skyrocketing. We just don't know it. Uh, oh, how it bad is. it is, right? You know? It is absolutely. Yeah. And I, I talked with Eric yesterday, and he said the numbers are just, you know, blow you away. Absolutely. The other thing too, I think that's contributed to some of this is probably this explosion of the OnlyFans stuff, which is basically um, a website where mostly female but guys are doing it too and and trans and different things um going on there um you can create your own little mini website you have subscribers and you post nudity all the way up to full pornography so you have this it's completely reshaped i think in my opinion just looking at it it's going to reshape what the pornography industry is because you can it's do it from home control. now it's out right? of control and, and so i think that really has going to have some impact you, you know, what you just said made what Eric said to me yesterday make sense because he's like, you know, we have to have control over, that's why our states need to mirror the federal laws so they have control over what's going on and they can go after these people. Because you could be sex trafficked from somebody sitting in Russia. Right. And, you know, they they right now have no way of going after them. So we have to change the laws. We had some some cases go federal that we did. We worked with the HSI group and FBI as well. And whenever a case was uh, interstate, we had one from Florida. Uh, Pimp had used um, a woman for you know sex gain, uh, money gain in Florida, and then traveled her all the way to Arizona. Uh, it was a really tragic case, and she was um, she was a very interesting person to talk with, and she was very helpful with the case once. And very grateful that we rescued we rescued her in a sense and you know what anytime i've i've heard from one of these people they're always grateful yeah. that they've been saved she had lived a really um tragic time with him which was a few weeks to a month i think at the time but we decided that because of the him doing this in two different states and we could verify that through some events um that were reported to police there and here that HSI took it over and took it to the federal prosecutor. Huge, huge difference in prosecution. Um, huge difference. A lot more work involved. A lot more stuff involved. Um, Which is exactly why we're trying to get the states to mirror yeah. federal laws so we can Hopefully. get it done faster, too. <laughs> right. And more, more punishment. And more I, punishment. I know that everyone is leaning towards this. No bail, no bond, lighter sentences, but not this one. Not this one. Not, no, not Leo, this one. Leo Biasucci is one of our state representatives, and he has passed a couple of bills that will put people away basically for life because it's 15 to 20 years for each offense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, see you bye. Right. Enjoy your time. The cool thing part of it is you can almost go Rico on these too, especially if you have some Johns involved. Mm-hmm. You can, if you've got the, the minimum stuff for the statue of Rico and you got a big enough case, and we had some get real close to that where prosecutors, you know, can 
And they can also leverage other people on the peripheral. Like, hey, do you want to go Rico on this and get a life sentence? Yes. Or do you want to work with us? And, oh, yeah. You know, their hand goes up, you know, obviously for, for helping the prosecution. I, I will help you. <laughs> I will help you. Harder sentence on those. Um, no doubt about it. Yeah, they need to be put away. Just put them away. It's, you know, don't get out of jail. And maybe some people will think twice. And I don't, I'm sure you've watched that. What's, what's his name? Hanson, when he, they would do those stings. And you'd had everybody, everybody from preachers to federal agents to, you know, school teachers, principals. I can't tell you. Um, and I don't know if clientele is the right word, what the John landscape looks like without exposing very, you know, damaging stuff that we've had in cases but yeah you'd be shocked yeah who, who walks through the door to meet a child or meet a for, for sex i mean just whatever it is it's it's um mind-blowing i just read an article uh, this past week about disneyland and some of the things that were going yeah. on <laughs> like disneyland the happiest place on earth right <laughs> not so happy yeah for sure yeah and and a judge a yeah. judge it, 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 there's no limit. There's no limit to what's involved in that stuff from high-ranking politicians to doctors to um, superintendents yeah, of schools. Yeah, you this know. isn't just Jeffrey Epstein, Maxwell, Cosby, yeah. uh, Thomas, Kavanaugh. Yeah, the real interesting ones to work were we were doing the Asian massage parlor um, stuff. There was one in Marana that, that got busted. There was, we were, you know, at that time we were working, I don't know, probably half a dozen to a dozen, just depending. And they they kind of all are loosely connected to some, some ways. Just amazing. And, and there's this dynamic of also human trafficking involved in that because many of these are Asian immigrants that are involved in this, um, probably here illegally to some point or extended past their visa and different things that we would run into used in that sex trafficking part of that but um do yeah. you guys work with other agencies you work with marana and oral valley and you know south tucson do you guys work together yeah it, most people worked like i'll give you an example when i was working street crimes and we had the grant the human trafficking grant oral valley would call us and say hey we think we have a hotel room here we've detained these two women and this guy and you know it looks like a sex trafficking kind of thing we would come and take it for them uh one because they're patrol assets. They need to get back to work um, out doing their thing. And that was our specialty and our expertise. And, and your training. And with the grant, it was all at Pima County. That was our coverage. That That's was awesome. That was our expectations. We um, need to get more money. Yeah. And it was, um, I want to say it was $750,000. And we worked. I mean, we worked hard. That was a hardworking crew. Um, and it's not, a, it's not a pleasant topic. It's hard to watch these people, these victims, be victimized. Yeah. And there's so many times, more than not, that drugs are used to control them so they don't go away. I've got your drugs. I'm going, you know, you're addicted now. You need me. Yeah. The worst case I had that it really sticks with me was me interviewing a 16-year-old girl that had, a, had been taken from Phoenix and brought down to Tucson and at a hotel room. She had been taken kind of by a John, persuaded, um, and he had stashed her away in a hotel room while he lived his normal married life high paying job life and um she would t in the interview i was like why why are you you know why don't you you can you can leave you can you why can call you us here? why are you doing this she goes my life is trash i'm gonna die and i know this is it and this is what it is given up yeah she had given up 
and I'm sitting across from her as you and I are talking, same thing. And I'm just, I'm kind of like, this is, this is my kid. Like, you know, this, yeah. holy moly, you know, how do we get to this point that this kid is, and she had all kinds of problems. She had been abused. She had, you know, all these things going on. There were so many back stories, stories to her and everything, but we, you know, we were able to make an arrest and, and return her to at least appropriate care and so forth. I don't know whatever happened to her, but that was one of the most no, think about sad that interviews too. I've ever had. Think about the, the mental health part and yeah. not just the victim's part, but law enforcement sees, you know, the alley of everyday life every day. How can you not develop some type of... Um, um, attitude and mental health is a big part of um, what we need for law enforcement as well not just victims yeah I think um, while it's becoming more mainstream conversation we are way behind the curve uh, oh, yeah. in law enforcement we've done a great job as a country helping our veterans obviously 20 years of the global war on terror has taken its toll on our men and women in uniform uh, serving abroad and i'm glad to see so many resources and assets and efforts going into that but i think the same applies to law enforcement i, I really do i think when i got out and i retired i knew there were resources and for us to help us i didn't know how many were out there and uh, which is why I started our podcast. And I wanted to kind of get those resources out there. There's so many different things out there that are not spoken to law enforcement. And um, I try to say, you know, hey, if these agencies aren't going to do it for whatever reason and tell their cops what's available to them, I'm going to do it. I don't work for anybody. Okay, tell us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't, I don't owe anybody <laughs> anything other than the cops in uniform. You That's know? how I feel. <laughs> So tell us about your podcast. What's the name of it? So the coffee company is called Filthy Pirate Coffee. And then the spinoff of that is our podcast, which is Talking Filthy Police Podcast. Okay. I want to know how did the coffee company get its name? <laughs> okay. So long story uh, short, I was in SWAT and um, we were working a guy that was involved in some explosives. I ended up tackling him and we ended up crashing through a big plate glass window of a hotel room. Um, we were okay, just some minor scratches, but it was something kind of, I didn't intend for it to happen, but it did, you know, and it kind of looked like a movie theme and the people that I were working gave me two nicknames out of that. One was Danimal. And then the second one was when one of the people in my squad, they, they said, um, that was the most pirate thing we'd ever seen. And we're your band of filthy pirates. <laughs> and it just kind of stuck. It was a joke. It was humorous <laughs> afterwards. And so when we created the coffee company a few years later, um, I wanted something unique to me and to what, you know, my career has been. Represent. Yeah. And so we just, we kind of named that and it's different. You won't find any other coffee company like that, you know, and it's the only filthy coffee <laughs> company in the world. <laughs> and the strange part is we have very clean, low acid coffee. So it, it's kind of a ironic <laughs> twist to it. <laughs> so tell everybody where your coffee company is. So you can find us online at uh, filthypirate.coffee, um, which is kind of unique again, um, not .com, but .coffee. And then our store is located at Orange Grove and La Choya in the Lily's Asian Market Plaza. Northeast um, corner. Northeast corner. So lots of good, good food coffee. there. And Remember when we were talking, I said, ice cream, we need coffee. I, it's my favorite ice cream. So I made some and uh, it was good with your coffee. So if you coffee like flavored anything is great. Uh, yeah. Egg and bacon. Yeah. Oh. Bacon. Yeah. That's another one. Yeah. There you go. 
And we may have a maple bacon coffee coming out this year. No way. Yeah, I'm working on it. So just a little <laughs> teaser for later this year. Um, that's going to be a hit. So how long have you been doing your podcast? Um, last year. We started this time last year, um, and it started as just kind of, I was very interested in the podcasting and, and radio stuff and coming on other shows like yours and just found it fascinating and a great way to to kind of get your, whatever your message is. And so we started doing it, and then I interviewed a, um, a of course, I reached out to friends, and one of mine is a, a police officer who lost his brother to suicide when they were teenagers. And he tells the story. And after that, I was kind of, a few of my friends said, hey man, um, you know, I think cops are struggling more than we really realize. And there's a lot of this, oh, you too? Oh, I'm not the only one. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so I, I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna kind of focus my efforts here. Um, yes, there's a business connection to this, but mostly it's because I think it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. When I ask a cop, tell me five resources out there available to you right now. And the answer, they just kind of stare at me and they're like, oh, well, maybe our EAP program with whatever agency, which they, most of them have. Okay, tell me five resources that are available to someone in the community that you're working with as a police officer. And they could name off all five. There's the DV shelter, this, that, the other. Yeah. You know? And I was like, man, that's completely unbalanced. Yeah. You, know, you got to take care of yourself before you can take care of others. And so that's kind of where we we really went with that. And so I interview people from all over the country with different backgrounds, different experiences, police officers that have been shot in the line of duty and how they recovered, um, doctors that you know work in this area. And there's just so many resources um, available. And so we put that on the podcast and we throw it out there. Usually every week um, there's an episode. But And give us the successful. name of your podcast again. Talking Filthy Police Podcast. Talking Filthy. So the reason right I did that dead. too was, is um, I say it like it is. Um, if it offends certain people in, you know, the police law enforcement world that we're talking about these types of things, the stigma, then that's too bad. Get over it. You know, every time I've talked to somebody about, hey, what would you advise somebody thinking about this career? It's always in there. Have somebody outside of your family and outside of work to talk to. You'll need it. I think the biggest thing that I've learned in working with this podcast and from my own experience is peer support. I think peer support is very, very important. Those that have been there, done that is a very important part of talking to. And I also agree with you talking to your, uh, I personally promote talking to your family, your spouse. I cut my spouse out for a long time and what was going on in my head. And that was the worst thing I could have done. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I advocate, you know, obviously measure what you're sharing with them as far as the details, but yeah, you, know, you don't want it. your whole family walking around like zombies going, Ooh. <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, the first, the first eye opener I had was when I was talking to someone and they're like, Hey, uh, you remember the shooting you were in? And my daughter was there and I'm like, thanks man. I was really hoping to tell my kids when they were of A teenage years yeah. that I had been involved in lethal force but yeah. thanks for outing me at the moment, you know, and I kind of learned like, hey, maybe I should probably, maybe kids are smarter than you think they are and they they're are. more understanding than you think they are and you don't need to wait until and they're teenagers. And you don't need to get into the weeds about it either. Just, you know, hey, this is what I do for this a living and this is what happened and I want you to understand this is why you're not going to the mall this weekend or whatever the thing is. Yeah, and when I told my kids that, what I've been involved in, they were like, oh, okay. 
was, I'm glad you're okay. And it was like, wait it a was minute. Nothing like what I picture. <laughs> I thought they were going to be freaked out, freaked out. You know, your dad is, you know, a murderer. Your dad is, you know, whatever. And yeah. That's not the case. Uh, no, not at all. A lot more understanding and, and, being able to talk to them but not get into the weeds and i've always told you know people you want that other person to talk to that you can get into the weeds with yeah there are some there um i do really believe deep diving in the weeds appropriately either with um what do you call it uh, actual professional right assistance but also um just normal conversation with someone that's been there done that they yeah. understand the weeds and that's why you know and i I gave that a lot of thought. My my dad was in the Marine Corps. My mom and dad were in the Marine Corps. And my dad would not talk to us about his experience of the Marine Corps. But if somebody else was there and we weren't, they would have a conversation where that mm -hmm. they understood. And I, because I overheard him one day. So <laughs> I was like, you know, hey, wait a minute. As soon as he realized I had come home, he stopped talking. Yeah. And, but I did overhear enough to understand this is why he doesn't talk about it. Yeah. And it's it's hard and it's not something, you know, you want to share with your family, but I think times are shifting and we really need to realize that our family is our number one support element. Yeah. And we need to include them in this. And I, so I advocate that all the time to other cops. Uh, and I say cops, I think first responders and military are also in that bracket, but oh, I focus, absolutely. I focus a lot on cops because um, let's be real. Firefighters have their own, own set of things that they deal with as first responders, but it is nothing like what cops are dealing with right now. That's just my personal opinion. Uh, the no, attacks on that's law enforcement exactly is exactly what's going on right now. You know, they it's... love firefighters and they can't stand, um, you know, police officers. With that said, I think Tucson is a very supportive law enforcement community. They are. Uh, I've had a, a majority. Lot of, yes. What the rest of the country is experiencing now, you have to remember, we experienced 2008, 2010 with SB 1070, right? When that came out, we were law enforcement was really under the scope of are we overstepping our bounds? Are we, you know, going too far with this immigration stuff? And there was, you know, this semi small racial division that was trying to be created. But we actually handled it very well in the state, and especially in Tucson, we handled it very well. We said we're not going to get involved in immigration. However, we have certain laws that we have to follow if we do end up in that position. So I think this community of police officers was already exposed to what was a precursor to 2020. Um, we had already had some familiarization and many communities have across the country, but for us. And so I think the relationship was really good with most of our community, most of them. Most of them. Yeah. yeah. And thank God. Yeah. I mean, because we've got, and I say it probably every week, we have amazing law enforcement people out there and what would you advise somebody having been there, done that, who's thinking about getting into law enforcement as a career? Uh, you know, usually what I tell, I get a lot of young cops uh, that come into the coffee store. Um, obviously, I get a lot of cops that come in there, but a lot of young ones. And I, I say, you know, number one, this is a marathon, especially now because now they're, they got to go to 25 years, not 20, like I, I was able to. Oh, so really? they're in a different retirement plan. Yeah. 25 years, um, their, their landscape of their career has changed a little bit. Um, so I would say have an outlet that's not police related and start now, you know, and, and find a way. And I would say this does the biggest words I use is you are not a police officer, a police officer profession is part of who you are start thinking that way right now 
don't define yourself as you know the uniform and the badge that's not you there are other things about you that are um, just as, as important and you need to focus on that too so absolutely yeah that's good advice Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, Thanks. you are not a police officer. It is a part of who you are, but you are not a poli- you. That doesn't define you. Doesn't define everything you are. You're a good hum- human being. Let's start with that, right? You've, Otherwise, you wouldn't be. You there. wouldn't be in that career field if you. Most of ninety nine point nine percent of the people in uniform, they're good human beings with good intentions. And people need to understand if if somebody in law enforcement goes astray and becomes, you know not a good person anymore the first people who want them out are the good guys we don't want you in this oh, you're yeah. jeopardizing my life too we all saw that picture of that cop on floyd's neck and we were i, I know i had many conversations i was like god i cannot believe this guy did, did that to us yeah and but, it wasn't you know some were defending him us. he was within training and practice and i'm like sorry bro i got no no uh, justification for putting your knee for, on someone's neck for nine minutes it, yeah you know you got to s- switch it up and granted i don't think george floyd had a mouthful of illegal drugs various kinds i don't think he would have lived through the day anyway but that didn't yeah help. there's a whole nother gamut of george floyd and his things but it, i just yeah i saw that and i was just like uh that does not represent us yeah it does no, not nobody nobody i spoke with approved of what no. happened there uh, I don't. It, it was just a sad situation and to ruin your career for a career criminal and you have, the other thing is after ferguson if you were in law enforcement in 2014 and beyond you had to really realize everything is on under microscope everything is on camera your behavior is going to whether you're justified we or used not. to call it the awful but lawful right you know it looks terrible but it it is within the law you have to really kind of con- look at that and go okay is there another way to do this sometimes you just got to get your hands dirty. We, you, you got to crack eggs to make breakfast, you know, and that sounds really arrogant, but you got to get your hands dirty to find criminals. However, you got to be cognizant of your surroundings and everything that's going on and the behaviors and the things you're saying and doing. Yeah, you can't have tunnel vision. Yeah, you have to be really dialed in as a professional. Okay. I want to thank you for coming in today. I thank learned you. from you. That's awesome. I, I love it. learning things. And I think our, our listeners probably learned a lot too. I hope. I hope yeah. so. Yeah. And our cops are good people. They are good people. And if you're thinking about a career, this is not a bad career to have. I had a great career. Yeah, absolutely. And please don't forget about the front line of sex trafficking next week, Burger Theater. Um, the presentation actually starts about 9.15. We'll be doing a live radio show there at 8 o'clock. Tickets are free. Go to lawmatters1030.org. Get your tickets. Be there. You want to learn everything. You can learn about this, and it's a evolving situation. And don't forget to go to thefilthypirate.com coffee and order your coffee. It's good stuff. Give it a try. We'll talk to you next week. Every Saturday morning at 8, Law Matters Live Show brings you law enforcement. Hi, this is Sherry, inviting you to attend the Frontlines of Sex Trafficking event on April 2nd. Join us and learn how to protect your children from these sexual predators. Your free tickets, agenda, and additional information can be found on lawmatters1030.org. This is important. You need to be there. 
Law Matters podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, and lawmatters1030.org.